Podcast number six. I uh, I talk about it every episode, probably. I love to get these out on a weekly manner, but sometimes it's just not possible. Uh, life has been crazy. A lot of non-creative stuff, working on uh, the business aspect of what I do. And the Montero has been down... Uh, electrical issue blowing fuses and finally found the problem after a week um just waiting on parts and we'll replace that and we'll get it back out there uh i got some shoots revolving around that and of course the 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 cleanup march 9th and 10th will be out in joshua tree if you don't know about it or want to check out more information romanloss.co go to the website you'll be able to find it on there and get all the info and come out clean up raffle uh we're raffling some a ton of stuff and yeah that's pretty much it and in this episode talking with chris nelson he's a editor at iron and air it's a very very nice magazine high quality magazine and he's worked for other magazines as well as a writer and um you know doing uh, field tests for automobile and all kinds of stuff so he reached out to me and wanted to wanted to talk and this is a result of it went over to his house in long beach and recorded at, in his office and uh yeah it was pretty good so uh hopefully you enjoy I, I this is my first time meeting him and i learned a lot about what he does and in the in the behind the scenes of iron and air and if you haven't checked out that magazine you should check it out iron and air uh also on instagram got a great instagram so uh without further ado there it is chris nelson so we are here with Chris. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> uh, this is like the sixth podcast or seventh. I don't know. You reached out. Yeah. I you reached did. out to me. I did. Yeah. Which I got... was, which was the first person to reach out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, how, how did I get to even know what, what you're doing? Cause I don't, I don't really fuck around on social media too much. Yeah. Uh, but I, I got a message from one of my colleagues saying yeah, right, that yeah. you were starting a podcast yeah. and that I should be on it. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't know why, but I'll reach <laughs> out. It's not something I've ever really done before. So yeah, yeah. it's a cool opportunity. Yeah. So you're the, you're kind of the man behind Iron and Air. Yeah. I'm executive editor at Iron and Air magazine, which is a uh, high quality quarterly motorcycle magazine. Um, it's a, uh, uh, really thick stock. We try and yeah. uh, celebrate stories that are inclusive in motorcycling. Um, tell some interesting historical narratives. Feature cool builds. Try and uh, I guess understand the motorcycling culture better from as many perspectives as possible. Yeah, it's not your typical. Check out this motorcycle and what it, how it's built and kind of like you know plain uh, plain Jane kind of motorcycle magazine. Yeah, I mean, I I still love those those yeah, books yeah. and and those are fun. But for me, I've I've always been a storyteller. Yeah, I love figuring out what 
the best story for uh, any given person or bike or place event is because yeah. I think there's I mean how many there's an infinite number of ways to approach storytelling yeah yeah and I really resonated with how Iron and Air did because they have a unique perspective and it is one that is I think extremely unintimidating right whereas yeah, yeah. in motorcycle culture very often is uh you know don't fuck with me yeah. don't look at me don't make eye contact yeah and yeah i think that's the dumbest shit yeah that's the wrong way to look at yeah, it yeah motorcycles are <laughs> stupid fun they're and inclusive and in and like the perfect sense so you can go with your buddies and yeah. go you know rip around or or do it by yourself yeah and i mean and they're idiotic i mean you yeah. and i were just ripping around <laughs> in the alleys of long beach yeah. on my mini bike right so yeah. that's how that works i mean they're yeah it's like the kid the kid in you obviously comes out pretty easily with them yeah well and that was just that became a motorcycling became a thing i did as an as an adult um i wasn't allowed to have motorcycles uh, yeah so uh, same i i didn't oh yeah no one would let me i had a bmx bike but yeah. No more motorized anything. My mom would have fucked me up royally if I came <laughs> home with a bike. And I remember when I was in college, I bought a, bought a Honda Ruckus, and that was oh, my okay. that, that was I knew my I knew my long term play in all of this. Yeah. It was like my first two wheel thing. Yeah, yeah. It was perfect. You could park it on sidewalks. At uh, I went to Indiana University in Bloomington. Okay, it's perfect bike. I'd ride it in the snow. Yeah, everything yeah. was easy. Yeah, and then uh, not when too I, fast. No, not fast <laughs> at all. I did, of course, like mod the shit out of it. <laughs> So it, it it moved pretty yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. But when I graduated from Indiana University, went and worked for Automobile Magazine in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and that was when I bought my first motorcycle because nobody was watching anymore. So I bought yeah. a seventy-five CP seven fifty that didn't have front brakes and just Ooh. ripped it around as often as I could. But yeah, yeah, which was not very often because shit, man, when I started working at automobile, I was working seven days a week, flying all around the world, driving cars that oh, fuck. I never thought I was going to drive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you're, so where did you start with what you do? Auto, was it automobile like yeah, kind of the auto, first like pinnacle step or the so the first big step for me was actually in college still was okay. I I always enjoyed reading and writing but I thought I was going to be an engineer I really oh. enjoy engineering okay. I like tinkering yeah. but um, when I was when I was in high school, I was in our automotive program. I really excelled at that and I enjoyed it. And I really love working with my hands. Yeah. Um, so I started looking into engineering programs at U of I and Carnegie Mellon, Purdue, and went and visited all of those. And most of those programs were very heavily based in computers. Um, oh, okay. You know, Carnegie Mellon was, was shifting very hard toward machine learning. Uh, and when you looked at things at Purdue, it was all just, you weren't going to do like a flow bench with exhaust. Like everything was just going to be computerized. Yeah. And for me, that just seemed wrong for, for who I was. Yeah. I, I suck at computers, right? My my brother was always great at them, so I never had to figure them out because he yeah, would always yeah. just fix that. He crap. was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so honestly, I went to Indiana University because I got a really good scholarship to go there. Oh, okay. And I was a direct admit to their business school, which is a really good business school. And I was like, yeah, 
right, cool. This is I'll figure out my shit while I'm here. And yeah. if I want to switch to engineering, worst case, like I spend a year at Indiana University on its beautiful campus. Yeah. Um, and while I was there, uh, I ended up focusing more on advertising and writing. And as part of that, all of the advertising classes were out of the School of Journalism. Met a lot of uh, really talented writers. Um, ended up getting to know a few professors really well. And one of them encouraged me to write more and cool. really express myself uh, a bit more fearlessly. I was always a bit of a timid writer. Um, uh, okay. Uh, and then once I kind of opened up and expressed myself, I started finding success. Um, and before I graduated, the summer before senior year of college, I ended up getting an internship at the Chicago Tribune. Um, I grew up in on the south side of Chicago in a, a suburb called Riverside. And so it was an easy gig for me to have. And I ended up working for their syndication branch, which meant I was just writing these kind of client-backed bullshit stories about business and health and career. Yeah. Um, but it taught me a lot about how this business works and that there's money that influences stories and there's also like editorial needs that to, to survive. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed working with a client to understand how to do better storytelling. And I was able to keep that job at the Chicago Tribune through my senior year of college. Oh, wow. So that was a really interesting experience. That was my first time working on my uh, by myself at home and just managing my shit. Yeah. Which I think was really, really mm -hmm. important to build my confidence as a writer for when... I graduated, and three weeks before I graduated, Automobile called, wow. and they wanted to have an interview. And I ended up uh, taking that job as road test editor, which is the lowest rung on the print masthead. Oh, uh, okay. But I was just excited to have the opportunity. You got your foot in the door. Shit, man. And it was, it was a cool opportunity. When you're road test editor, what you do is you manage the fleet of cars. And at any time at a car magazine, there's you know, a dozen to two dozen cars yeah. of very, you know, body style and power. And yeah, you know, yeah. it's just an insane mix. And so you have to schedule all those cars. You have to make sure the ones you have for a long time are being serviced, that everything's set up right for testing. Um, you're planning photo shoots. You're dealing with logistics and insurance. Yeah. So I got to learn all of the nitty gritty bullshit that goes into the production side of this. Yeah, yeah. And when I started Automobile, everybody that I worked with hated my writing. Hated it. Wow. Like, my boss, Joe Demacio, hated my writing. I still think he hates my writing. <laughs> but he reads every issue of Iron and Air now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just, he would harp on me all the time about, like, I don't think this is what you should do. You know, like, you huh. could be really good at something else. And I was like... Fuck you, man. Like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. Yeah. I'm passionate about it. I appreciate you telling me how you truly feel. Yeah. But, like, you cannot tell me that I'm not going to be a writer. I'm going to figure out how to express myself in this. And, and automotive and motorcycle writing is, is way harder than I ever really thought it would be. Yeah. Because they're pretty... Uh, pretty simple subjects i think you know they're not humans they're not complex they don't yeah, have emotions yeah. they don't have you know backstories they just exist yeah but to be critical of them in a way that's educational to a reader and also entertaining 
is a very delicate balance. And some people are really good at it. And when it came to car reviews, I wasn't very good at that. Where I found my strength was in storytelling mm-hmm. and really going out and just having experience and honestly recalling it and trying to not embellish the story, but embellish through writing and do good writing and think about what that meant to me. Yeah. And slowly but surely, I started getting more and more stories. And by the time I left Automobile, in um, that would be 2017, uh, I was doing most of our cover stories. And I was just chuffed at the fucking opportunity. It was yeah. amazing. Um, okay. I... That's insane. So when did you start Automobile? Started Automobile uh, in 2011. Okay, Um, so yeah, in six years, or yeah, not a long time. Not a long time. I mean, and for a young guy like me coming right out of school, um, especially going into journalism and uh, the media industry uh, post-recession, everybody's like, you're a fucking idiot. You're not going to succeed at this. and. I knew that that was a really strong possibility. Yeah. But I kept my head down and kept working and kept trying to figure out things that would be beneficial to automobile. Yeah. And make those things happen and learn and also continue to work freelance. I got a lot of awesome jobs working for magazines like Maxim and Men's Health and Vice and got really great support from outside sources, which also helped build confidence as a writer. Yeah, yeah. And so I think by the time I was 25, 26, I really had a good understanding of what I wanted to do in this industry. And that was when my infatuation with motorcycles had also reached a new peak. I was understanding more about that industry. I was starting to get involved more with that industry. I've been riding bikes more. Yeah, yeah. And when I moved out to California uh, about four years ago, that was when motorcycles became yeah. a really big part of my life. Because if you haven't lived in California, you don't really know how bad it is to get around LA. Yeah. And so if you have a meeting that's, you know, north of the city and yeah, south yeah. of the city, you can't it's have them on the same on the day. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're on a bike. Yeah. That's the only way but to also you can you can ride a lot more out of the year than any other area. <laughs> well the other thing was living in Michigan where you're yeah. riding the winter's the longest uh, part of the year. <laughs> well the winter's nine months, right? <laughs> yeah. And then the three months of summer you do have, there's just huge craterous potholes all over the fucking place yeah and you just get eaten up by them yeah yeah and on a cb750 with no front brake it's not exactly the most exciting way to go (laughs) (laughs) um cool well then so you went from automobile into iron and air yeah so i started with iron and air as their editor at large Um, okay meaning that i was helping them from afar They've always been a scrappy, uh, intelligent, and extremely fucking talented team. Yeah. And I remember uh, my closest colleague at Automobile, Sandin Volker, he was our videographer, brought me a copy of Iron Nair, uh, you know, I think a year maybe after it went into publication, which was July 2012. Oh, okay. It started as digital and eventually evolved into print, which is such a backwards way of thinking. Yeah, 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 totally. And I love that. It is actually backwards. (laughs) And it continues to grow. Print is growing. Yeah, that's amazing. Everybody. I mean, the the Iron Era magazine is super high quality. Yeah. So it's not like it's not like some, you know, 
Yeah. You hear that? You hear that? That's 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 what paper should sound like. And you, yeah. s- you smell it? You can you smell, smell it. it. I can smell it from over there. That smells beautiful. Yeah. No, it's like it is a really um, super high quality, and also not just like the actual product, but like the stuff that's in it is obviously definitely on a different level than the average motorcycle magazine. Yeah, I. I think Iron and Air was a, a thing that I really wanted to do after Automobile because I had seen what the big, big, big publications like Automobile, Car and Driver, Motor Train, Road and Track, yeah. what they had, the resources they had, how they did things. And I disagreed with a lot of it, yeah. um, learned a lot from it, but I was so fascinated with the idea of indie publishing. And then Iron and Air... Um, had a new investor come in and they had a period of growth ahead of them and that was when two years ago they approached me about saying okay we've appreciated the work you've done as editor at large helping us out contributing stories now and then yeah what if you come in full time and you know run the magazine while we scale different parts of the business up Uh, okay and that was almost exactly a little over two years ago now yeah and just been a whirlwind since. Yeah, yeah. and in the best way too we've taken on big jobs that we didn't actually know if we'd be able to complete and we did we've challenged i think a i think we've challenged what motorcycle journalism is about yeah. um because i think that's a very vague place right now and I don't know what people want to know about motorcycles. Uh, you know, testing numbers. Mm-hmm. Nobody, yeah. nobody seems to be caring that much about yeah, bikes yeah. going zero to sixty. And nobody, like a lot of companies, don't even release horsepower numbers. So I think the lifestyle of motorcycling, as much as I hate that word, yeah, is a big part of what this culture is becoming. Yeah. And so if you try and shy away from that, I think you're just gonna not talk to the people you need to talk to and they're not going to hear what they need to hear yeah and so if we can find a nice middle ground with iron and air to say hey there are a lot of motorcycle publications out there and there are a lot of bikes that we're not going to cover that you should like try and ride but let's try and see the culture for what it is yeah uh last year i think the the issue that shows best where we're going is uh issue 33 which which was called japan in the west um, and that was a really scary issue to put together because uh, I'm a uh, 30-year-old white man from the Midwest. Yeah. And I'm saying I want to do a cultural issue about Japan and how Japan influences, has influenced America and how American culture has influenced Japanese culture. Yeah, totally. And so just kind of when we were talking about the issue, the idea of cultural appropriation seemed very possible so it was okay how do we do this and we reached out to a lot of friends in japan got a big staff of people who were guest editors coming together yeah we made sure we took like nine months to put it together and and make sure that it was something that would make a point more about culture than motorcycling Yeah, yeah yeah and it's been the issue that i've gotten the best feedback on yet because there's no featured builds in it. There's no, like, customs. It's yeah. all about the people and the different technologies that have come out of Japan, that have come out of America, and have kind of crossed over. Yeah, merged together. Yeah. And then 
what I thought was really fun, that maybe the exact wrong word, yeah. is, uh, is starting the magazine by talking about uh, World War II. Oh, okay. and, and how that that's unfortunately where this relationship really kicked off. Yeah. But to see how it's grown is really interesting. And then in the back of the magazine, we had this, uh, I think, a, again, a really important story, especially now in our country, about uh, uh, one of our contributors, his grandparents were interned in America. Um, and so they both had very different experiences in the internment camps in America and they're both American citizens. Yeah. And that's a terrifying part of our history that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, Yeah. Not, not many. Yeah. Nobody. You don't really hear about it. No. And, and so why is a motorcycle magazine covering that? Yeah. And it's because I think it's important and it's part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's a part of the, the, the bigger, the bigger scene. It's not, you know, it's not just motorcycles. Well, I mean, because really, I've said all of my life, I could live very easily without cars and motorcycles. I've made them a big part of my life because I enjoy them and I can live with them. Yeah. But you couldn't live without music. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't yeah. live without connection to people. You couldn't live without books and yeah. literature and these other pieces of, of creation that I think are more important that show personality. And that's the part of motorcycling I love, especially custom motorcycles, is you know build it to be yours and, yeah. and show who you are through it. But also, don't define yourself through your fucking motorcycle, right? <laughs> yeah. It is a toy, and yeah, you can yeah. live without it and be okay with that. So yeah, let's talk yeah. about the things that are toys and why we like our toys which yeah. is the world that we're trying to live in and the world we're trying to create which is a better one than the one we're living in right now totally the motorcyclist should be just like I guess an extension of you not 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 entirely what what you are you know I mean do you, feel, so do, you, do you feel like I mean there are people who define themselves by their motorcycle yeah right so yeah. I think I, I think that's wrong, true right and I think that's because of uh, outside sources though yeah. you know not necessarily what what they're trying to do it's just it's like the influence from others yeah. maybe you know yeah and, and I think it's I think it's also really scary to be different yeah even it, in the yeah. motorcycling scene where everybody's different this is the part of motorcycling uh, let's call it the motorcycling community that I enjoy is I've met some of the most unique individuals I've ever met totally uh, it does attract a certain type of person for sure um, at least historically yeah and I think it's going to attract a lot more people that it hasn't previously as new bikes come out you know like Honda's launching the Super Cub this year who knows how that's going to do but it doesn't have a clutch you know you, it's semi-automatic shifting yeah. it's a little scooter yeah. with a nice Grom engine people are going to maybe love it and that's yeah. going to bring a whole new vibe to quote unquote motorcycling yeah, yeah, yeah. and people will hate it or they'll love it and to me it doesn't really matter either way like I hope that people do love it and I hope that people do hate it yeah. and I want to hear the reasons from both There's sides opinions always yeah yeah I think that introduces people that want to get into motorcycling without the the um, I guess the learning curve yeah. you know because I mean it's not as easy as hopping in a car and driving but mm. 
you know, you're dealing with clutch and stuff and not too many people drive manual transmissions anymore. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's nice to have options for everyone. I mean, that, that the bike we rode out on the alleyway was pretty, even though it was a bit torquey, but (laughs) it was pretty easy to ride. (laughs) That is, so that's a Coleman CT 200, right? Which is their, their little trail bike with, um, uh, like this crappy Chinese, like I think it's like one, it's a little bigger than a 125, uh-huh. but like it's sort of a Briggs and Stratton like motor pull start. And I had put on an intake exhaust and a torque converter on that thing and took out the governor. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah the thing I mean, rips. It just, it's a wheelie machine. Yeah. And yeah. it's for less than a thousand bucks. It's not street legal. Yeah. 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 For, for running around on trails, it's pretty sweet. Well, and also, it's the thing that I can bring with me on uh, little trips that we go on. Yeah. And I just let everybody ride it, and yeah. nobody's not smiling. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's easy to ride. Yeah. And anyone can do it. Yeah. That's, the be- that's amazing. It's like the most inclusive thing ever. Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm also excited always about electric bikes, which yeah. is, is not to say that I think they're anywhere near where they need to be yeah, to yeah. be uh, competitive with standard motorcycles. Totally. But most people don't understand that it's a direct drive. You just twist the throttle and you go. Yeah. And Super easy. Yeah, it's super easy. So... If you didn't know that, most people are just scared of shifting. That's, yeah. That's the reality of it. I think that's, well, uh, yeah. I mean, my girlfriend rode a Kawasaki, like, dirt bike mm-hmm. or an enduro. I think it was just, like, a 125 or something. But, it, you know, or maybe it was 250. But that's the hardest part for was for her is to literally get it going. And uh, I can understand, like, I mean, I grew up, my first car was manual, so it was very similar. So, but I can understand that learning curve being kind of scary. And, you know, that thing, if you pop the clutch, you can definitely fall off pretty easily, you know? So, uh, yeah, to be able to hop on something that's more like your car that you're used to, then great. And if, if it's electric, then, you know, it's a lot. It might cost you more in the probably at first, but you're not paying for gas. So yeah. it's a less, you know, no expense there. Well, and that more than anything is as the, like the infrastructure changes and as uh, the technologies change for motorcycling, I think that you'll just start seeing a new crowd be attracted to it. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are scared of that. And not enough people are excited about that, is to think that things will change and they'll be changed for the worse. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that the motorcycle industry is struggling, that motorcycle sales are struggling, that the culture itself is thriving. So there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And hopefully it all comes together and it blooms beautifully. Yeah. Who knows if it will? The only thing you can do right now is celebrate the cultural piece of it as being successful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely is like uh, with all the years I've been riding, it's definitely the biggest it's ever been. I mean, it's amazing. It's like every, you know, oh, we, we did what was it? Just the one moto show was like a couple of days ago. Yeah, it was. You know, I mean, so many people went to that. So many people and from, and I'm talking like not just people in Oregon, just like people from here, people from the East Coast. Like so many people went to this one show in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) And it's crazy too, because, um, 
you know, this is, this is, I usually go to the one show and, uh, or I go to Mama Tried Show in Milwaukee, which uh, okay, is, yeah. you know, the weekend after one show. And well, I was talking to Tor, the uh, founder of the one show, and this was his 10th year doing the show. Oh, wow. And it's so funny because it's like, shit, man, there was never anything you could do in the winter in Portland around motorcycles. So yeah. that's, you know, one started in Austin, then moved to Portland. But like, that's how that show came to be and then all of a sudden the weekends of mama tried and and one show got right next to each other so now it's like uh everybody is rushing to get bikes from know, oregon yeah. to milwaukee in one week <laughs> like right now i'm i'm building the bike uh 98 xl 1200 sport with suicide machine co yeah and um I went over there yesterday, and Sean, the the guy who does most of the building, looked so fucking tired. Oh, yeah. And I was like, buddy, what's going on? You've been sleeping? He's like, no, we had to prep two of our Husqvarna's for the one show. That's right. I'm getting the flat track bikes ready to go to Mama Tried, and he's just trying to get the normal work that he does working at his dad's truck yard yeah getting it done i'm like yeah. hell man your calendar is they're, screwed they're super busy oh man i mean with all the you know they by all by all means too because like they work hard as hell for that uh i honestly that was i've i think i was telling you i've i've tried to build custom motorcycles yeah. before and i i say that word Meaning, like, I've successfully built custom motorcycles. I just was never very happy with the result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once I got to a point where I was uh, comfortable enough with my confidence and ego to say, you suck at this, bro. <laughs> Go and find the best person. I, I've always been, you know, yeah. uh, in awe of Sean's ability to just the, make shit happen. build some wild bikes. Oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, I was just amazed that he was even into doing the project because they, yeah. they don't take on don't they take a bunch on of customer projects. Other, yeah, I don't think no. so. So, but we understand one another of like, we need this Harley to perform extremely well. Yeah. And then look okay as well. Yeah, yeah. So, as we're both on the same thing. So, you know, full suspension. Yeah. It has the, an SNS 1250 in there. It's going to have uh, bigger wheels and tires, new brakes with like, you know, the good thing with the it's got dual front discs yep. and then we'll upgrade them to like four pistons so that thing's yeah, going to yeah. stop on a dime um, nice and yeah I'm just excited about yeah, it yeah that'll be fun to ride around Long Beach and for the, sure dude the best <laughs> part about it is I'm not fucking building it you yeah. know like so yeah. it'll be a good bike <laughs> for sure yeah the I lived uh, like I mentioned this before but I lived next to Oliver Jones who's like a Harley builder and he built many winning bikes at uh at Born Free. Yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, it's just like amazing what they they put a lot of time and work into the like maybe just one or two bikes a year and it's like it's insane. Yeah. Like they really and like the my favorite bike that uh Sean and uh and them built was the Turbo Landspeed. The Landspeed bike. Yeah, that's Sportster's yeah. like it's I, every time I go into the shop, I'm it's pretty I'm pretty, pretty wild. You know that's Sean's second build ever. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that. So those guys grew up doing automotive racing. Yeah. Um, you know they had a their dad bought a Sentra SER. They all built it into a track car and they started doing that. Yeah. Going to Willow Springs, they started seeing bikes and they yeah, got yeah. hooked. Like I like same as me, same as yeah know, any other guy that liked cars and ended up loving bikes. Yeah. And. Then when they 
did track days enough and they had they both had Ducati 999s I think mm-hmm. and after low siding them enough they were like shit this is expensive yeah, why yeah. wouldn't we just build uh, you know street bikes so that are we can put more money into them make them more custom and, yeah. and have fun and so Sean bought a BSA built it for his size he's a little guy yeah and uh, well him and Aaron are both little guys. Yeah, they're both, yeah, they're both, they're both little guys. That's right. But I'm also, you know, uh, six two dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, with Denmark descendants, and it's like, uh, <laughs> I, so I everybody's short everybody's to me. Everybody's little. Uh, but those guys, I think, are are poised right now to help change the stigma around Harley by creating, I think, genuinely exciting motorcycles yeah. out of you know Milwaukee slag. Yeah, and. That's why I wanted to work with them. Is uh, there are a lot of other bikes I could have built other than a Harley Davidson Sportster? For but sure. I thought the challenge would be interesting, and I knew the result would be enticing. Yeah. 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 I mean, if not that one, then just the next one will be the next. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like there's so many. There's a lot of options out there to work with, and you have all the time in the world to just pick and choose your battles, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm enough of an asshole that I'll probably just end up binning it at some point and then start on the next one, right? Yeah. I think that's the usual case with uh, with people that are in motorcycles. They always have a bin bike or there's always something around. That's the Honda Dominator that yeah. is half-assembled in the garage right yeah, now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so you went uh, from automobile to iron and air, and um, usually in this uh, in the, the talks we talk about one of the most standoutish uh, events in your life, or that you've experienced through work, or you know, uh, or adventure, you know, something that stands out that uh, that just stuck with you, you know. really hard question I know, everyone everyone says it it's, yeah. but it's like it's yeah it, it's a hard question because well for you probably because you've experienced so much and i express people to check out your posts in automobile because you can look it up on uh you know the websites and mm-hmm. stuff uh in in automobile and iron and air because you'll see the range <laughs> of yeah. things that he's done um but um but yeah, it's, it's it's a hard question because you've done so much. But if it's just one thing, what would you say it would be? One thing. I guess the most, the thing that stands out in my mind right now was last year, uh, I took 18 days and rode through the Himalayas with Royal Enfield. Um, that was an interesting experience for so many different reasons. Yeah. Was uh, first and foremost was the story that we had set up fell apart the minute that I landed. So yeah. it was almost to a point where I was going to fly home the next day because there wasn't really a good story to tell. Yeah. And but I was already there uh, at that point. Yeah. It was like, well, we'll figure out what to do. And I just was able to, I think, shut off a little more than I usually do and enjoy the trip. Yeah. And there were uh, people from, I think, 11 different countries in like a group of 18 people. And we all were together. None of us knew each other. And by the end of the trip, like, I mean, we all stay in touch. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, a trip like that, I can't even imagine how bonding that may be. Well, and and, and for so many different reasons, because originally, you know, you think that it's going to be maybe more like a more relaxed than it is. Yeah. Um, because the roads don't seem that hard all of a sudden, but then you forget how far you're going each day. There's uh, okay. a lot of road to cover. You're yeah. going far into the Himalayas when you do this. It's like we were on China border one night just looking up. There's not a light anywhere around us, and you can just see all the Milky Way beautifully. Wow, yeah. I just stayed up all night and was watching it with one of these guys, RJ, who works for Royal Enfield. All he does is ride through the Himalayas. That's what he does for fun. Yeah, yeah. He just reads books and rides through the Himalayas. That's insane. And, and you know, his his dad was a military man stationed in Ladakh. So I got to hear all of this great history of this, the space for them. And also, it's not great. It's more terrible. Yeah. So because when you get over into to India, you, you see you see it for what it is. And, and there's when you're in like Delhi, New Delhi, there's uh, it's just extremely overcrowded. And there's people who don't have clean water, but it seems like everybody's got a cell phone and everybody's got a fucking selfie stick at that, too. Yeah. And wow. and then you get into the Himalayas and it's nothing like that. There's nobody around. There's these little tents that are set up where people live and you can go in and they'll make you tea. But that's like there's just slabs where they sleep. Yeah, yeah. And this is them selling tea to people who come by. Wow. And that's how they live their lives. It's so simple. simple. Yeah. And it's so incredibly beautiful riding through the Himalayas. Uh, I, I've seen so many different places in, in the world. I've been through the Alps. Uh, been through the Alps. I've done you know, trips through Japan. Uh, I've gone all through England up into Scotland. Like I've enjoyed seeing the countries that yeah. I've been to. But the Himalayas were just unreal. And so powerfully moving in the way that you hate admitting that because uh, I, I think when I wrote the story eventually, which was like nine months after I got back, because I was I was still it was still eating at me that I, I needed to do something because it was such an amazing trip yeah. and it wasn't the trip I planned. So I had to figure out how to say what I wanted to say. And that was that. Nobody needs another story about how amazing and powerful and, like, moving the Himalayas are. Yeah. But that's just the fucking truth of it. Yeah. You go there, and I remember taking off from Ladakh Airport and looking back, and, like, I got teary-eyed, which does not happen to me ever. And it was because I realized, like, I just wanted to appreciate it a little more. Yeah. I wanted to be back and just, like, breathe it in a little bit more and realize that that opportunity probably won't come again. Yeah. And it was so fucking cool. I mean, I was—there's one day that stands out in my memory where this dude RJ from Royal Enfield, guy from France, Christophe, a guy from Australia, Greg, and uh, a uh, ex-professional sto- snowboarder from the U.S., Justin Ryder— we all took off on these bullet 500s in front of the pack. And for whatever reason, we just had like red mist. We were ready to go. We're going through all these like little aqueducts and like airing out and dropping down. And we got like probably 
few miles from where our stopping point was and I hit a sand wash and just like loop the bike fucking Ooh. like spun over and over and I popped up just straightened the bars back and like kept riding because yeah. that was the mentality we were in we were having so much fun Dying went through a water crossing <laughs> that like came up to your fucking chest line Damn. and then you just push the bike the rest of the way out give yeah, it a couple yeah. of small kicks water comes out the exhaust and it fires right up yeah and you know these are just crappy bullets on street tires and they took us all through the himalayas and we were just i think it was one of those those times where you, you expected to have a really great experience and the experience was nothing like you expected yeah i think i i, the, I think that's pretty common mm-hmm. you know like the the ones that stand out are the ones that you probably had no planning in or just like took a turn for the worse or good or whatever and that's why they stand out because unexpected right yeah well i've always had this uh phrase that i I tell myself because i'm i can stress myself out by trying to do too much yeah and so i always say have a plan don't follow it because if i don't have a plan i don't give myself boundaries and then my mind will just kind of spin off in any direction. Yeah, it can go anywhere. Right. And so if I have some sort of trajectory where if I, at least I know from A to B, I have an idea of how I want to get there. And then as, when I start, I just forget all of that. I just know I'm trying to get to B. Yeah. And I know that I've thought about this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really give a shit where it takes me. And that's the best part. I think part. that's where you're going to get the best outcome. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, especially if you have... An end goal and it doesn't matter how you get there obviously it's just like life will bring you to that end goal at so, you know in a, you know maybe if it's a trip it's a week later but yeah. <laughs> you get there and 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 you that's that was the that's all you're shooting for yeah the I stuff mean, in between is can be amazing it is and, and that's be crappy too well and you know most of the time that's the thing i've learned is that it's it's very rarely crappy i've had a yeah. lot of things go crappy like yeah, I, yeah. I remember oh my god one time I, we did a at automobile a series called standing mile okay. video series where we just did like heads up drag races one mile long because wow. it was like eh, you can see which cars win in a quarter mile but which ones are going to win longer. longer yeah you know point in case base porsche cayman okay. versus subaru uh, WRX STI. Okay. STI killed it in the half mile. Yeah. But the Cayman reeled it in, and they finished dead even in oh, a mile, wow. which is really interesting. Huh. Um, but I remember one time I had a Corvette, and that shit blew up on me when I was like at 120 something like that. Yeah. And uh, I've I remember that because uh, so vividly because there was like this big fireball that shot out of the hood, and then the car lost all power. And uh, I hadn't asked Chevy for, for permission to take the car. Oh, wow. I had fucked up royally on that one. Yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of apologies. And, and I've done things that I've had to apologize for because things along the way go wrong. Yeah. That's okay. Most of the time they don't. They take you in a much better direction. Yeah. And the only thing that you have to show is a little bit of discipline to not follow it all the way because yeah. you were trying to go to from A to B and if you get too distracted yeah you forget what you were trying to do in the first place yeah yeah I think uh, I think there's but there's like you know yeah the the in between is it can be anything and that's like kind of what you're shooting for right it's like that's what tells a good story eventually yeah. well and, and I think also 
the things that that resonate most with me are, are things that I can be a little more personal with too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hard to to be personal writing about cars and motorcycles, especially if you want to do justice to the story and for yeah, the reader. Yeah. But if you get an opportunity to do a good personal story, that's to me the most moving. Like uh, four years ago, my dad died from cancer. Um, and later that year, I had an opportunity to go... Um, to Sweden to do some winter testing on a car on a, like an ice lake out there. Yeah, yeah. And my mom, uh, she was really struggling still with with his death, and yeah. so I flew her over to Sweden. We took a car. We went over to Denmark, which is where my um, dad's grandparents came from, okay. from a small village called Renstedt, Denmark, in the north of Denmark. And we ended up getting a Range Rover SRV, SVR um, okay, yeah. and just drove all around Denmark and didn't really have any kind of plan for that, except yeah. for to go to Renstedt and kind of see where my my like family had come from because yeah. there's this whole backstory about like my dad doesn't know his grandpa supposedly like he could be a prince of Denmark it's a totally convoluted bullshit story that I won't bother you with now <laughs> yeah. but it was interesting to have that journey and that was where I was I felt really good about taking this trip and telling a story because none of it was motivated by the story it was all by like I just want my mom to be happy yeah, and to personal. have this experience yeah and and people can connect with that. Right. I mean, how many people, I mean, we've all lost family, you know, people lose family members all the time and, yeah. and, uh, people can appreciate the, the connect, you know, yeah. this is like me talking about, uh, my favorite car because my dad had a challenger, yeah. right? There's, I will, will always want that car yeah. because of that connection. But, and if you talked about a challenger in a way where I could relate, I mean, that's what's going to catch a lot of people's attention. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking just briefly about how our girlfriends are better than us, right? Because they're they're just better people and they think of things, uh, yeah. you know, more compassionately yes. than we do. Yeah. And that's that's what my girlfriend Mallory always reminds me of is like, you don't know where people come from. Yeah. You don't know the shit they've seen or what they've been through or how they are going to interpret something. So. Yeah. If you just write a really good personal story about a Dodge Challenger, yeah. to me, it wouldn't resonate because like I don't have any history with right? it. But it doesn't really matter because it's someone's going. Someone's to. going to. Yeah, and someone probably related to a story about De you know in Denmark. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who read that magazine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. So, but um, so 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 then what about current? Uh, current work like you we, we talked about you, you well you still work for Iron and Air yeah that's, that's my full time gig um, is there anything that excites you outside of that or that maybe you could talk about I don't you know yeah that is uh, that's that's uh, coming up or something that for people to check out or well you know uh, as far as Iron and Air is concerned I think everybody should just at least try and check out one yeah, of the magazines yeah highly recommend it yeah it's, it's so a, can you get that magazine anywhere like Barnes and Noble or so it is stocked in, in select Barnes and Noble okay. but honestly we 
I have a very simple system for subscribing. It's nine ninety five recurring, just like Netflix, and it's four issues a year. You get hit right before the issue comes into your mailbox. Gotcha. So okay, you know, and for nine ninety five, yeah, it's for, pretty, it's yeah, pretty for cheap. forty bucks a year. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, and you know, cancel any time, but yeah, you won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get one magazine, you'll end up buying the back issues. Cause yeah, yeah, that's what I did. You know, I have a full collection that you know I paid for half of it. Yeah, and um. I think it's a magazine that I want to hear from people about, too. So yeah. if you do, uh, subscribe to Iron and Air. Send me an email. It's chrisnelson at ironandair.com. <laughs> yeah. Email me. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what you love and what you want to see more of. Yeah. Because that's what I want to do. And, um, the, and the fact that you just opened yourself up to that is amazing, too. Because I, I don't know many people that will take in just random ass <laughs> input Fuck. you know and not they might not want to deal with the emails or whatnot but oh, i don't want to deal with anybody like yeah. i don't want to fuck with anybody in my but life you wanna, but you want to but you want probably want to make your product and you know that much better well at the end of the day like i'm writing this magazine for you and like yeah, i'm editing yeah. the stories so that you enjoy them and uh Last year, I had an hour and a half conversation with a guy who just wanted to bitch at me about how, like, our captions were too small and too light gray for him to read. And I was like, dude, I, what, are, what do you want me to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like there are That's five, design. There are five people on staff at Iron and Air. Yeah. Like, it's cool. We changed the captions. We changed them very mildly because, like, I agreed with some of his thoughts. I disagreed with many of them. But yeah, yeah, those yeah. are the people that I actually like hearing from because they take the time to call and they respect being heard. Yeah. Sometimes they say this dumbest shit that I just don't understand. But yeah. sometimes you can't explain it to people, too, because publishing is a very interesting world. Yeah, yeah. And some things just don't make sense for publishing. But you can't explain that to everybody until yeah. they know it. I mean, so it's not necessarily their job to know. No, it shouldn't be either. Yeah. It's like, that's why you have to do the best with what you got. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love listening to people. I also just... I'm very selective about what kind of critique you take and yeah, run yeah, with yeah. and which ones you kind of use to inform maybe the decisions you make yeah, or yeah, the way yeah. you approach things. Like, if you're too abrasive, great. Like, you know, reel it back in. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, don't stop being an asshole because that's who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so beyond... Um, Iron and Air. Beyond Iron and Air is always a, an interesting one. I mean, I, I love writing. I yeah. love I love thinking of, of how to tell stories. So I, I try and do that with um, uh, as many people who want to, to play well, and, and it, do yeah. cool things. So yeah. um, I've been recently working with Harley Davidson oh, okay, to do cool, some cool yeah. stories and um, come up with uh, new storytelling uh, devices, I guess we'll call it, for when bikes come out because yeah. uh, I don't think they, they do a particularly great job of educating about what their bikes uh, do, what they're yeah. for. Yeah. Um, you just kind of, they all they all look like they do the same thing, but yeah. they don't, right? No, they're all different. Um I'm, I work with a couple of different car companies doing similar things and um, more than anything right now what I'm stoked on is doing a couple of different personal projects with um, just crappy paper zines um, okay. it's uh, I've always been attracted to print it's yeah. a way that I'm I can easily <laughs> communicate what I'm thinking so right now it's a little project that I'm working on with uh, with my girlfriend Mallory and a couple of buddies but uh, it's like a, I want to do a zine called Rat fur 
Okay. Um, and it's all, you know, you know, like Radwood, right? Yeah, Those yeah. guys have done an awesome job, I think, celebrating, uh, you know, the 80s into the 90s cars. Yeah. But they're picking the cool ones. Of course. Ratfur is about the shitty ones. The shitty right? ones. Yeah, like, well, not shitty in, in the sense the of pintos. like. Well, but like, I, we're trying to kind of still form exactly where it goes. But like, yeah, yeah. the car, in my mind, that just like summarizes what Ratfur is about and Ratfur being you know what that is right is that it's that crappy interior fabric oh, yeah, that was yeah. in like neons and civics and yeah just like right. Ratfur <laughs> so that's what to me that just sticks out yeah totally but like well, neon was cool. Yeah, neon's dope, dude. I, I got dude, when I was so I grew up like street racing and shitty little Integra in Chicago. Feel yeah, yeah. I got smoked by so many neon SRT fours, dude. Crazy, Sleeper. you know. And then yeah. you get somebody in a Caliber SRT four, roll up next, and you're like, no, no, yeah, it's yeah. not worth it. But Ratford, yeah, the car that summarizes it all, Chevy Lumina. Z34 oh, Earnhardt edition, right? Oh my god, they had that. Oh, dude, it's beautiful. I didn't even see that. It's beautiful. I well, and this is this is the thing that's that, a like, Midwest car, dude. Yeah, it's a hard Midwest, real car. hard. And you know, that's I'm attracted to it, which yeah, yeah. tells you something about like my backwoods <laughs> nature yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that those cars are really interesting because. I ended up falling down a rabbit hole that I hadn't been on because I read an Auto Week story about this, about Dale Earnhardt Sr. when he was a Chevy dealer and he went out and did like a test of the Lumina at a NASCAR track before he was a racer. And I'm like, where the hell is this in my, like, I have no idea. This is a total blind spot in this. And so that's what I love uh, still, especially working at a motorcycle magazine now. Because when I was at a car magazine, all I wanted to read about was motorcycles. Because it's flipped. flipped. And so now I'll read like old issues of automobile and car and driver. And I'll go back through these things. And I'm like, man, because I was so focused on the industry and like what was. The new stuff. The new shit. You stop digging for the old stuff yeah 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 um, and there's it, a lot of old stuff man like that right yeah you, I would have never guessed that no. ever no and it's but like, it's rad <laughs> I so and the, the one thing I'm looking for is a really good Toyota Previa story okay. so if somebody's got a really good Previa story <laughs> you know my email <laughs> yeah damn that would be a fun uh, a fun zine to work on then well the point of it too is that um I think I've gotten a little too serious with how you treat cars and motorcycles. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you get to know the engineers, you get to know the people, you get to know the product really well. Yeah. And so you start to have a little bit of an attachment to it. And you want, like, when when I'll get in a new Camaro ZL1, I know, immediately I just think of Al Oppenheiser, the Camaro chief engineer, who is so dedicated and he's yeah, really yeah. good at what he does. And so I know that it's going to be dialed. Yeah. But I also sort of hate the Camaro. So, so like... It's not my favorite. Yeah. You don't know how to feel about these things. Yeah. Which is where Ratford, my whole point of it is to just take the fucking piss out of every car magazine that takes itself too seriously and all these comparisons and just have fun. Write about things that are, that have no consequence whatsoever. I think, I think that people nowadays with social media and like being controlled by that kind of stuff is that people do take themselves a little too serious and are too sensitive uh you know and 
and to take that away from them and, and just do like something fucking hilarious or I mean I would have never knew about you know Lumina but <laughs> you know it's like that's rad I want to go drive that now oh, yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> but it's like yeah I think you have to step back and uh, and just like have fun sometimes you know cause like I mean you know especially people that work for themselves they like you know we're always working probably you know and you kind of have to like take a break and you know chill out for a minute and you know read about weird shit like that (laughs) but you know uh i think that's it's great to and zines are fun i mean i I remember doing them a lot when i was younger like just little you know 12 15 page scenes we make at Kinko's well, <laughs> I I also just as a uh, you know as a 30 year old in a dying industry which is not to say that print's gonna die it's just dying yeah. right like yeah, yeah. it'll come to a point where it's stable and people will want to buy beautiful magazines like Triple Zero or Road Rat or Iron and Air or Meta like I think those yeah. will exist yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm 30 years old. I'm excited about publishing. Yeah. I like the industry. So self-publishing is a really interesting, you know, phenomenon right now that didn't I exist. Think, well, I think in LA they have a zine. At, like, Long Beach has a zine fest. Yeah. I think, you know? I think it's uh, at the at MoCA in LA. Mm-hmm. They have like a giant zine get together or fast or, you know, something. Yeah. And, uh, I remember, I remember going over there and being like the, the line was just like insane mm. to get inside of it. I, 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 this was a while ago, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's like, what would you call that? Like just this like odd culture of like <laughs> people that are into that stuff. Well, I think, I, I don't know why that happens, and I don't know even what I would call it, but I, yeah. I know that in the... I grew up remembering a time without internet very clearly, right? <laughs> and then it seems to have come to define my life in so many ways because now I have a phone that everybody can reach me on and yeah. like at any fucking time of the day. Yeah. And I have social media that I don't want to be on, but people tell me that I have to be on it to have some kind of presence. Yeah. And you start doing things that I don't think are really true to who you are because you feel like you have to do them. Yeah. And something like a zine, if you can self-publish it and you can just have a vision and even know that maybe parts of that vision would be better with somebody else being part of it. Yeah. Right. Because editorial is best in a team, but sometimes you just, sometimes you need to have express your feelings and your vision fully. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the exercise in, in something like Ratfer is to say, what would we really want to say if we could just say whatever the fuck we want to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. Because all of a sudden you feel like you can't. It's Especially true. when we're saying, like, you're taking yourself too seriously. Hell, man, like, I'm I'm always just terrified about saying the wrong thing on something like social media it's, where... Yeah. I'm just like I don't even want to be on this. I, yeah. Just let me go. Like like I won't I screw up if I if I don't have to be here. But if you're not there, everybody's like, well, why aren't you at the party? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you're like, I, it's just not a party I want to it's go to. It's a lose lose. Yeah. Like you're, it, and and so you have to right now really I think figure out what works for you. I mean, I I thought it was really interesting how you you said you started this podcast was that you wanted to to talk more. Yeah. And you wanted to have 
you know, deeper conversations that we both agree you don't have as often as you'd like in LA because yeah. people are more interested in like what they can get out of you rather than yeah, just... Yeah, or it's, yeah, self... Yeah. Revolving. Yeah, uh, dude from Dover, uh, <laughs> dude from Dover, and a dude from Riverside. You know, we yeah. we have small talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like I think, uh, I think the older I get, mm. the more I want my pre-internet life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was more real, real. It was more personal, um, but. But I mean, like, I'm trying to embrace both. Yeah, me too. So. And, and and like, I'll bring I'll bring you to the future right now, which yeah. is like, I could talk about this shit all day because it just <laughs> it interests me. Is you know the uh, like the unwrapping phenomenon on YouTube, right? Yeah. Like yeah, unboxing, right? What is yeah. it? I don't. Unboxing. It, it's just interesting. These yeah. things, these fads that come up, and I look at it like, okay, that's what young people are into right now yeah and then the industry that i work in in so many levels cars motorcycles publishing they aren't right yeah that's what everybody keeps telling me and i go sure that's probably true but it doesn't particularly matter right now it's like because they're they're probably too young to enjoy it and there's yeah. it's not being presented in a way that they're hearing it yet exactly which is to say that like if social media is the way then a guy like me might not be the most successful at social media and I hope that that message can reach people because I like I like telling I think the messages that I share are are positive ones mostly yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I often worry that social media is quite the opposite is to just have facade and no structure to it yeah it's a little bit more superficial yeah. or whatever but yeah. the corollary to that is that I think there's a very strong curiosity in a younger generation where two anecdotes um, that are both from people who are in the automotive design world and they have daughters. One of their daughters for a present wanted a true AM FM radio. So like dial for AM, dial oh, okay. for yeah, FM yeah, yeah. because she Old didn't school. understand what amplitude and frequency modulation were. Like she grew up with Spotify's and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting to me. Yeah. And then the other daughter asked for a typewriter. And it's not, these kids aren't hipsters, right? Yeah. They're, they're little kids. They're, they're still figuring out who yeah. they are. Yeah. But what they're interested in is more than what's ahead. There's a lot behind them that is really fascinating. There is. And yeah. the time of growth that we've gone through since, you know, the iPhone was introduced a decade ago yeah. has been very dramatic. Very. So, but like, why would you think that the, these kids aren't interested in all of these things that, you know, you Mechanical and I were growing up? Or, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, th I think it'll, I think it comes back and it just means being open, like the same way you and I are open to being on social media. I yeah. don't like it, but I, I appreciate understanding it. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, there's a next generation people go, okay. I like I love social media, but let me give print a try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe and there's people time. out there that are are doing that now. Man, and it's every, just not everybody who subscribes to Iron and Air, I thank you so much because yeah. having a growing print magazine in a shrinking industry is all the confidence we need to keep doing the best work we can. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's 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 great when people support something that isn't necessarily mainstream, but they still want to keep it alive. You know, it's yeah. like it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it takes a lot of effort, and I I think 
it's an effort worthwhile. Yeah. And no matter what it is in the long term that pans out for for storytelling, if we want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that it's honest and entertaining because as long as it's that, guys like us will just find new ways to interact with platforms and have fun with them. Yeah, yeah. But as long as you can do dumb shit on, in cars <laughs> or on motorcycles, take pretty pictures and tell an honest story. Yeah. I think there's a world for this. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to to end off of. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we could sit here all day I just could. talking about mini bikes and muscle cars. Yeah, we totally could. <laughs> <laughs> We're at it. Well, thank you for taking the time uh, yeah, and reaching me. out. I mean, yeah. Thanks to whoever. If it was John, uh, it's John, John Gaffney. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, you you two both have very similar beautiful ginger beards. You know? <laughs> I, I have a ginger beard myself. What's funny it, is I don't have catchy. red hair, but yeah, me neither. I mean, yeah. it's like this. I guess it's common. Yeah, so. John, John doesn't have any hair. He's bald. So, you know, he gets away with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks, uh, thanks again. Yeah, Kingston. Appreciate it.